Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I've never seen anything like it in in my life and it sums up small town Canada perfectly because every I've 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 been to a lot of small towns and they are just like the first half of Stephen King novels before the shit happens <laughs> and they're completely crazy they are utterly idiosyncratic they are um they're just very, very strange places, but in a wonderful way. And so for me, Torrington, because of the Gopher Hole Museum, sums up small town Canada. Thank you so much for joining us on So I Start a Revolution from My Bed. Today we're joined by Dominic Diamond. Dominic is, well, he's a legend of broadcasting. Not only because of his radio work, but also documentary work. Yes, he is the games master. He is that legend himself. So for me, you'll hear at the start of this, I gush. It was such a privilege to talk to Dominic. And thankfully, he turned out to be an amazing guy. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Someone that I want to talk to forever. And we did, over two hours. And yeah, we've had a little bit of an edit trim, but I've had to leave loads of it in because he's just so fascinating. So we talk about the Joshua tree, why it's important to him and what he saw when he was there. We talk about his favourite books because he's a big reader. We talk about his favourite films. We just take such a journey on this. Dominic got this podcast wholeheartedly. So what's it about? Well, the whole point of this podcast is about nostalgia, comfort, coping mechanisms, mental health, because... My journey's been unusual. I've been housebound for most of my life. I found coping mechanisms within that. We've all now got experience with lockdown. And how did we all collectively cope with that and individually cope with that? So that's what this podcast is about. This is what So I Start a Revolution from My Bed tries to address. How can we make sure that our mental health stays nice and shiny? And if you do need help, then please do visit who this podcast is in support of the calm zone so the calm zone.net it's the campaign against living miserably they've got helplines so if you do need help seek it please do it's 0800 585858 and if you can yes please donate because it really helps their services they got a web chat as well you know use the services but please if you can support them do so so i think 
on that, we need to get into this episode because it's a bumper one. This is Dominic Diamond. And also, don't forget, of course, follow Dominic on Twitter at Dominic Diamond. And he's got a Twitch, and his Twitch is doing really well. He's one of those big old wigs on, on Twitch. I don't know much about it myself, but I hear that Twitch is a big thing. Go find him at Dominic Diamond Live. And yeah, you will listen to him for hours because he is just a fascinating guy. So thank you so much, for Dominic, for joining me on Soul Star Revolution, my bed. Let's get into this. One last thing. There's a book. Games Master, the oral history. There's a Kickstarter campaign as we speak. It's just been launched. It charts the highs and lows of the iconic TV show. And I believe it's forwarded by Robbie Williams, of all people, who was a, a champion on the show. Yes. So make sure you donate. I'm going to donate as we speak. Where's the button? So make sure you do check that out because, wow, that's the first time this has been done. So well done, Dominic, on that front. So let's get straight on with the episode. Let's have a chat with Dominic. I can't believe I, I get to speak to you because this is this is just so cool from my perspective because you're one of those people that I'll, I'll kind of gush and get to it in a minute. But um, <laughs> yeah, you, you've you've been someone that's been of great comfort to me over the years because of the various different reasons. So I'm joined by Dominic Diamond, which is just amazing to me. Thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on such an interesting podcast. Yeah, and and you were so kind as well in in that. You uh, you straight away said yes to this, which is just without knowing anything about it, which was just you know really good of you. But 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 one of the reasons that I that I'm doing this podcast is because of um, my health circumstances, where I've been predominantly housebound. But there's been moments of comfort that that's been provided to me through entertainment, and and you've been consistently one of those, like both in terms of Games Master, but all the other things that you've done as well. And yeah, it's just been. You've been one of those people that I've kind of grown up with, and I don't want to say that to insult you because it'll make, I can imagine that make you feel a little bit old. But, but you, I have grown up with you. Um, uh, so my first question is, what was Games Master like? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, it was fun. It was. Uh, I always say that if you have the opportunity to uh, have a top ten television show by the age of twenty one, then yeah, you should probably grab it. Um, it's it's not a bad way of launching your entire career. I always say much better to start right at the top and work your way down like I have, uh, <laughs> rather than slogging your way up the hard way. And and now you you reside in Canada, don't you? Uh, yes, I do. Um, uh, yeah, I am about eleven. Gosh, nearly twelve years ago now. Yeah, we um we came out here on vacation. We had uh, we did not like the way that we felt the UK was moving in terms of um, racism, xenophobia, uh, religious bigotry. As a Catholic in Glasgow, a high-profile Catholic, I had a couple of horrible things happen to me. What's weird is that we are, um, we're about to move back, um, uh, and unfortunately that situation is still there, but the um, COVID-19 has made us realise that we, my wife and I, do not want to be on the other side of the world from our family when they could basically just die at any moment thanks to mismanagement of government health policies. Sorry, I didn't mean it to be like such a hardcore political start <laughs> to this, but it really is. It's just where I am just now as a, as a human being. So sorry for people who are tuning into this thinking, oh, great, we're going to get a cheat for Sonic the Hedgehog right off the bat. <laughs> but um, no, that's not really where I am just now. <laughs> 
I think we do need to do that every so often. We need, do need to drop in a cheat for something along the way, just a, a, some kind of life hack. Um, so, so that's interesting. You, you're, you are coming back to this country. As soon as we can sell our house, yes. Uh, but it's very difficult to sell a house in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. But uh, but yeah, as soon as we can sell that, we'll be coming back, which is a shame because I love Canada. It's an incredible country. We've had a, 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 an amazing life here. Um, but uh, family is family. And we have we just realise how much we've missed them. And just things like um, like cousins. I'm very aware of cousins just now and that my kids don't have any. They've not grown up with cousins. Um, and cousins are great. I don't think I really appreciated how great cousins were when I was a kid. And because they're like kind of automatic friends. And, and my kids have never really had that. I mean, they've had friends, right? But it's not, not that kind of family closeness. So um, I think family does trump everything. I love that. A cousin is an automatic friend. That, that's a brilliant yeah. strap line. <laughs> that's a perfect marketing hook for a cousin. And, and this is going to be a really massive open-ended question, but I mean, what's Canada like? I, I can only dream of going there literally. And it's always been uh, probably the one that I'd like to go to most. Um, Canada is amazing. It, it's it's weird because it it's probably easier to compare it to Europe in that it's it's the second largest country in the world by landmass, and so each province is very very different. So I don't think there's a real unifying Canadian concept. Like if um like I'm in Alberta, in, in Calgary, which is very conservative, very cowboy. Um, not very liberal, I have to say, uh, which is unfortunate. But next door to us is British Columbia, um, which is just the most kind of hippie liberal part of Canada. And it's yeah. amazing how much it really does change from province to province. Um, Nova Scotia was where I first lived in Canada. And that's just this wonderful kind of laid back, almost mythical place. Um, and then uh, and then I moved to Ontario, where Ontario is just like, you know, it's just like London, England. I mean, it's just like kind of crazy high energy, you know, all, you know, mega media stuff, bands, gigs, culture, art. So it really is, it's, it's weird to think, I, I, I mean, I guess overall when I've been here, it's been, it's a much more liberal country and it's a much more tolerant country. Um, I, it was amazing to work in radio in Canada and to be able to just mention in passing a funny story that happened to me going to Catholic mass yesterday and not have people phoning up calling me a Fenian bastard, which, you know, you just, on the radio in Scotland, you just can't talk about being a Catholic. How, how do the, the Canadian people react to you on the radio? Do they, do they take to you being a, a different nationality? Uh, it's Again, it's different from province to province. Uh, bizarrely, when I started off, because I didn't plan on like working in the media. I came out to retire from the media. I bought a small, well, what was a llama farm in Nova Scotia. But when I got wow. there, the, the llamas had gone. Um, and uh, so I started like planting vegetables and building flower meadows. And I had this wonderful oh, idyllic first year um, where we just lived off our savings. And then unfortunately we ran out of money and I had to start again uh, right at the beginning, right at the very bottom of uh, of radio in Canada, working for the smallest radio station, I think in the whole country, CKBW in Bridgewater, Nova Scotia. And I, it's weird because 
for a province called Nova Scotia, New Scotland. Um, there was a lot of people there who, who, again, did not like a foreign Scottish accent being on their airwaves. Uh, but then when I went, uh, when I gravitated up to the uh, big, the capital of Nova Scotia, Halifax, that was much more welcoming. Um, Ontario was just phenomenal. Toronto was just, was great. Um, the advantage I have being Scottish uh, as opposed to British is that everybody in Canada is either descended from Scottish people or thinks they are. So, um, so it kind of, it, it, the, the Scottish accent and being Scottish has helped. I would, I would argue that I've been to far more giant burned suppers in Canada than I ever went to in the UK. So they oh, do, really? they, they love Scotland and Canada. They, they really do. Apart from a small pocket of Nova Scotia. I'm, I confess I didn't actually know that's what Nova Scotia meant. So I've, I've learned something there. Yeah. What's, what's lockdown been like for you? Have you presumably it's, it's been the same in Canada where you've we've had restrictions and you've had to be fairly housebound. Well, the response from the government in Canada was was light years ahead of the response of the government in the UK. Um, we kind of moved into lockdown pretty quickly. Um, our uh, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, was much better in terms of getting money to people who needed it. So, uh, you know, we're reopening now, slowly but surely. So it's not been quite as bad. I mean, it was bad, you know, from a kind of career point, of you for me, it was pretty decimating, like a lot of people, um, in that I, uh, I had an offer to start a, a new job in a different part of Canada, which I decided I'm not going to do because, again, I didn't want to be away from my wife and kids in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and I bizarrely, having spent years out of that side of things, I recently did my first esports commentary gig out here mm -hmm. in Canada and for um, our, our local football club. Calgary Cavalry. They basically did a, a nationwide um, like EPL FIFA tournament from all the different cities in Canada. And our local manager here is a scouser who was a big Games Master fan. And he's like, oh, Dominic, I'd love you to do this. I know you don't really do that kind of thing anymore. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it's our local clubs thing. Let's, let's do it. And I did it. And it was really funny because the big company that was running the whole Canadian thing, the guy in Toronto was like, you're really good at this video game stuff. <laughs> like, really, you think so? And he's like, listen, we'd like you to start hosting all our tournaments over Canada. Can you do Edmonton next week? And can you come and do the finals in Toronto? And then literally the coronavirus lockdown happened the next week and the whole tournament was cancelled. And um, so, uh, so yeah, so that was, a, that was a bit of a pity. So that's been a little bit devastating, but it has, a, it has meant I have started a channel on Twitch um, there was a guy who was a radio boss in Canada who knew my work. He's in San Francisco and he was getting together a bunch of radio people to do radio shows on Twitch. So I joined his stable and I started doing that about six weeks ago. And uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's small potatoes just now, but it's really, uh, I'm really enjoying it because the, uh, the, 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 the open chat room in Twitch is just the most wonderfully interactive thing I've ever had as a broadcaster. I've always enjoyed doing phone-ins on the radio, but you can only talk to one person at a time. And what's been great about this is that I have these little pockets of people from everywhere I broadcasted. So from Scotland, from England, from different parts of Canada, and they've all come together and 
And they really help each other out. It's all these people that have been stuck in lockdown. And I call it the show that celebrates the small things. So I'll I'll talk about things like I'll, I'll review viewers' fridge magnets and just these oh, little, because yeah. my, my theory on the show is that we can't rely on the big things just now. Uh, government, healthcare, employment, because coronavirus has exploded that. So let's try and unite over the tiny little things like cheese, like fridge magnets, like things like that. And it's been really good to see these people from all over the world kind of bond for this hour and a half every day uh, through the show. So that's, you know, so that's been good. That's been a good part of the lockdown for me, I guess. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the reasons I've reached out to you because I saw what you was doing on Twitch. Yeah. Plus, you know, like I said, I've, I've known you, you know, probably since the age of uh, 11, 12, I think. I, I first started watching you. So when I saw what you was doing, I was like, you know, he gets celebrating the small things, like you said, fridge magnets. I'm, I'm looking at the moment, my other half is a fridge magnet queen. Yeah. It, you can't see a fridge. It's just plastic. <laughs> so the fact that you do these celebrated small things is brilliant. So is that yeah. something that you try to do in your own life, is look at the, you know, gratitude and all that sort of thing? I, well, yeah, I, I, I kind of. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I do like little things. I think they're far more reliable than big things you can you know we're all we're all trying throughout our lives to kind of have a tiny little bit of control over the chaos and um and without sounding too trite then you know things like fridge magnets and cheese and and cooking and gardening that's why i love gardening as well it's such a it's such a little thing um but if you plant a seed and you look after it and you water it and you tidy up the weeds, then it grows into this thing that's utterly amazing. And there's very few aspects of life that reward you like that these days. So you mentioned that you that you, when you first moved out to Canada that you had basically like a, a farmstead little situation. Uh, is that something that you kept up with or have you had to sort of let that slide a little bit? I had to let it slide because when I moved to Toronto, it's very difficult to have a farm in the middle of Toronto. Um, right. So, <laughs> so yeah, we just had like a house, a terraced house with a wee garden at the back. But gardening is something that I'd, I'd never done it, Jason, before I went to Canada, right? I'd never planted one seed in anything. But I think because I felt so burnt out in terms of like uh, media stuff in the UK that I wanted to go in the complete different direction. So I, I, I kind of tackled it with complete wanton abandon and got really obsessed with it. And um, so I would literally, I would take a... Because, like I said, it was a llama farm. So I would take a, a, a meadow and I would like dig up the sod with my own hands and right. then uh, I, I'm going to go into the little forest and get bits of wood and make little barriers for my little beds and just really like would come in each night like bleeding fingers and everything having worked the soil. But it just was something I really connected with in a way that I don't think I've connected with anything else in my life. Maybe cooking, maybe. And... Um, so, so yes, yeah, I've always tried to kind of have a garden. And one thing that it's weird because the thing I love most about gardening is weeding. And that's weird because that's the thing that nobody likes. But when I feel like in terms of mental health, when I feel the black dog of depression coming in, I go out and I weed and there's just something it's tidying up. It's like people say, if you're depressed, tidy your room. That's the first thing mm. you should do, you know. So I kind of, I, that's another thing that really appeals to me about gardening. It's just a great way of, you know, if you kind of clear the external shite, it clears the internal shite as well. Mm. 
how important is uh, mental health to you? You mentioned that it, you know that you have got experience. Is it something that you you actively take uh, an interest in now? It's uh, well, it's a. I mean, it's a daily struggle for me. It has been for a long time since um, since I became a parent, which might sound a bit strange, because but makes sense if you think about it. It's supposed to be the greatest thing mm. that can ever happen to you, and it just made me feel utterly powerless. And I think that's a dad thing. Because I think that when a baby is born, it honestly doesn't give a shit about the dad because you don't have <laughs> lactating breasts, right? It's um so it's it's really strange to to kind of I found myself feeling displaced and I found I couldn't, it was the first thing in my life that I couldn't control. I couldn't um I couldn't make this human being like love me I couldn't I couldn't make it stop crying my wife could because she could feed the baby so it was really weird and it just made me kind of question control and and life and chaos and I think and that's when I started getting quite quite unwell not helped by um having too much success too early in life and translating that into a substantial uh cocaine and alcohol addiction and so the kind of combination of all those things made me seriously unwell. And then luckily, and then as a result, I had a crippling insomnia for a few years. Right. But then I luckily, I, I had, um, I found an amazing therapist in Glasgow who uh, saved my life, absolutely saved my life. And through a combination of kind of what I learned from her over the course of like five years and, you know, medication and, and just mindfulness, um, you know, I kind of got better, but it comes and goes. I think the the, the, the problem, the problem with uh, working in the media, especially like as a radio announcer, is that you are you for a living. So hmm. it's like if you're a bricklayer and you build a wall and the wall's not great, it's like, OK, that wall's not great. But if you're a, a radio announcer and you do a radio show and the ratings go down, that's you personally that's not that's not good so i think it's a very difficult job to do if you you know if you have mental health problems and i think that's why so many people you know in the media end up you know having mental health problems so and that's another one of the reasons that why when i come back to the uk and it's weird because my plan in coming to Canada was to not do the media, was to do stuff like farming but because we ran out of money i had to start again from the bottom and luckily well, the good news and the bad news. The good news was that I did really well and I got up to the top. But the bad news was I did really well and I got up to the top. And so yeah. with that comes all that mental health pressure. So my plan when we move back is that I am, um, and I talk about this a lot on the Twitch show. It's funny that I just say that I want to do something that's like, um, just like a, a, a prop, build something properly. Beekeeping is one thing that I'm considering. Um, also, um, uh, uh, having a herd of donkeys because I found out recently that donkey cheese is the most expensive cheese in the world because of the uh, they don't produce a lot of milk and the milk is very difficult to coagulate. So, so yeah, so that's my kind of um, two crazy plans that I have. So that's my, you know, that's I feel like I want to go back and do something, you know, that's like a bit more private, non-public and hands-on creating something. But again, I'll need money, so who knows? <laughs> It might drag me back in again, the media, who knows? 
It's, there's so much that I now want to quiz you on. A, donkeys are my favourite animal, so that's just, I can't believe you said that. Wow. B, I love, yeah, I, I, bees are also right up there for me, and my, my mother-in-law uh, kept bees for a while, so that's always fa fascinating. Uh, C, I'm expecting my first baby, so I, I really want to quiz you on all of that, what you've just said there, because I'm going through that same degree of, you know, feeling helpless with regards to the build-up to the birth. I am petrified about that, because... I'm someone that'd rather go through something than watch someone go through something. So, how did you? Yeah. Um, how did you feel about that element of of childhood or, or uh, your wife giving birth? Um, well, I just tried to make jokes throughout the whole um, birth <laughs> process, good. and I was I, I was uh, apparently immensely irritating. I was in the uh, it was and it was a very long and again I I really shouldn't be saying all these negative things about being a new father to you in childbirth if you're about to go through it but every one of we've got three kids and every childbirth has been a really traumatic uh, for my wife and so the first one was an incredibly long labour and um, my daughter had her um, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck in the womb so it was a pretty traumatic thing and the whole time I'm just trying to make jokes <laughs> so so that was how I coped with it jokes and setting up a camera in the corner to record it after my wife expressly told me she did not want the birth recorded and so I do have this video um, luckily from not from a gynecological corner I hasten to add <laughs> from an over the shoulder corner and um, and we've only watched that once and I think my wife has hidden the tape somewhere. We're not even wow. allowed to watch it because it's just my wife screaming at me and me trying to be funny. So that's that's how I cope with it. I, I used humour as a coping mechanism when faced with the <laughs> trauma of childbirth. Right, okay. I'll bear that in mind. Go in with my best joke. I think I'm already winding her up with my with yeah. my ridiculous humour as it is, let alone yeah. in actually in childbirth. Yeah. I think the best thing you can do as a dad in childbirth is just is sh is shut up. It's just basically right. don't don't say anything because it's going to be wrong, um, and uh, and trust in what are incredible doctors. I mean, you know, doctors, midwives, they, these like, man, these people are just the most amazing people, and they could do the most amazing things. And 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 you think that this is like the the, the greatest thing that you, that will ever happen to you as a human being is having a child, and these people make that possible and safe for people. 20 30 40 times a day every day so it's uh you got to just just trust them man trust tr trust the great doctors and nurses that's brilliant advice i completely agree with you yeah they get paid to do this they they do this for a living on a day they don't get paid basis. enough though they don't get no, paid enough really, do they I no i completely agree with you on that no my, my sister-in-law is a frontline nurse she's had covid so yeah i completely yeah. subscribe to the fact that we need to do more for them um how do you find fatherhood now is it is it rewarding or do you still go through moments of of it being troubling <laughs> Uh, again, again, Jason, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, I find it even more difficult now. Um, now my children are teenagers. I think that um, I think it's a it's a much more tougher world to be a teenager than it was when when I was a teenager, and that's because of social networking. Um, social networking is it's just it's wonderful for getting certain messages out there, but unfortunately it's Pandora's box. You can't choose the messages that get out on social networking. So while it is, it is possible to post out videos of police brutality that normally would be covered up, it's also the best way of spreading bullying in the history of the world. So, and I think that my, my, my kids have grown up with that. And I think in terms of mental health, that makes it just... So it's so much more difficult to be mentally healthy, I think, 
as a as a teenager in today's world than than it ever was. And it's like um so like my my, my youngest kid uh is a great example uh, Sharky. She that's not a real name but we call her Sharky. And um so she at 14 years old is far more politically engaged than I ever was at that age but is also suffers from anxiety far more than I did at that age. So, and I don't, um, I, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a, I, I'm not a good dad at like solving problems for teenagers or solving problems for kids. I've always, I've kind of, I'm, 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 I'm a good practical parent. You know, I will be able to drive us somewhere in the fastest, most efficient way. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I'm great at organizing family vacations and I'm great at helping with homework. But in terms of, um, I think, my kids' mental and emotional needs, um, I'm not, I don't know why. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not, I'm not very good at that. And I haven't been very good at that. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough to um, uh, work out what is going on in another human being's head and work out the best thing to help them. That's really, that's really hard. I guess that's why, you know, we go to train therapists because <laughs> if if we didn't yeah. need them we'd all be okay you know what, what is your relationship like with social media do you find it useful and interesting or do you have to back away somewhat sometimes i just well funnily enough i just came off uh, facebook um a couple of weeks ago um i've never liked it but it's i've you have to be on it if you work in radio in canada and which is the, the, the you know the, this horrible obsession that radio stations have with social networking and it's like i'm sorry yeah. i i I don't think anybody who's ever listened to me on the radio has given a toss about what I post on Facebook. <laughs> you know, it's just like the same way that I don't think anyone who's ever listened to me with the exception of maybe XFM Scotland has ever listened to me for the music. They listen to me for the talk bits in between the same way that, you know, I, I grew up listening to Steve Wright on radio one. I didn't give a shit what song he played. I just wanted the funny bits in between. So, um, it's, uh, I've completely forgot what the question was. I was, do you know what? I was just thinking about Steve Wright there. Sorry. That's fine. Just... That's... Steve Wright always froze. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. My, my relationship with social media. So yeah. So I came off Facebook recently because again, I, um, I hate the, 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 the Facebook duplicity that everybody just posts the best version of their lives on there. And I think it was coming at a stage where I was really struggling. Um, mentally and you go on Facebook and you see everybody going oh yes I'm learning to rumba during the pandemic lockdown and it's just like fuck off I'm trying to get through the next day right yeah. you know so I, I had to kind of come off from that amplification of the false positives of life and I, so yeah I kind of hate it. so I, I've just come off of that um, uh, by contrast I, uh, I, I, re I, I love Twitter I think I've learned so much from Twitter and because basically because of, of being anti-Trump, I have come into contact with a lot of people in America who, you know, are a part of the resistance to Trump who I, who I normally wouldn't have. And I think that that's, um, that's amazing as, as in terms of access to information, Twitter is brilliant, but you got to fact check the shit out of everything. You know, you can't, there's, there's a lot of great information on Twitter. There's a lot of disinformation on Twitter. So that side of it is really tough. And there's a lot of horrific hate. I mean, you know, the minute I post anything that's anti-fascist, oh, geez, some of the messages that get posted underneath are just absolutely horrific. And Twitter doesn't seem to police that very well. So that's how I feel about Twitter and Facebook and all the other forms of social media. I just, I couldn't give a toss. I mean, just, 
Instagram, all that stuff. It's just, it's just noise, you know. I agree with you that, that social media has been interesting in lockdown because a lot of people have just been projecting and yeah. some, some people have really struggled uh, and some people have, like you said, have gone, all right, I'm going to write the book, I'm going to write the sonnet. Um, so what, what has been your personal and your family's experience been like in lockdown? Is it, has it treated you well or, or have you struggled throughout it? No, it's been horrible. No, it's been an absolute nightmare. We have struggled. Um, and especially because we want to get back to the UK to be with our family and to be in a situation where it's been difficult to sell a house because of the lockdown. Mm. It's like, it's it's been a prison. It really has been a prison oh, for us. Um, so am I... Um, and my, my, my two youngest kids um, are uh, uh, 14 and nearly 16. And it's like my, and the, you know, they have friends that they've not been able to see. And I guess that's really tough as a teenager to not be able to see your friends. I mean, the, the reality of my life under lockdown is not that much different because I just used to, you know, I've still got my gardening. I still read books. That doesn't really matter, you know. Um, the only thing I've not been able to do is, is go hiking. I love I love climbing the mountains. Um, but for a teenager, I think the impact is, uh, has, has been much more, much bigger. Like my, my son, Charlie, who... Um, for a stage of his life uh, was on the uh, on the spectrum in terms of Asperger's and um, not the last couple of years has has kind of emerged from that and is now a, a very sociable human being who finally has a group of friends for the first time in his life oh. and can't see them. So that's really tough. That's been really tough for um for for the lockdown. So there's so my, my my two youngest have struggled. My oldest kid. Um, and uh, my wife um, uh, work in shops that I've kept open. Uh, it's interesting that in Canada, my wife works um, uh, for a liquor store company, an off-license, and they never closed because Canada realised, no, no, people still need beer. So um, <laughs> so they've still been going out, but there's also that kind of tension that it's like, oh, well, they're also exposed every day to the virus, what happens, you know. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it's been tough. I think it's very tough in any time of your life where you know you are about to move on to the next stage, but you can't. Yeah. It's it's very difficult as a human being to be in a in a period of stasis where you can't go on. But and especially someone like me that I you know this is going to be a major reboot for me. And I'm I just turned fifty um, at the end of last year, so I'm aware of the passing of time. And it's like yeah. I want to start the next period of my life now. I don't want to fucking wait three months for the pandemic to be over so I can sell my house. So it's a very, literally all you can do is, you know, do my Twitch show every day, which has really helped in terms of having a creative focus. But it's just, all the other thing, I've just literally been reading all those books that I've had on my bookshelves for years mm. and and not read. So you just try and do the positive stuff. But no, I find it, I find it really, really tough. That, that's why this uh, podcast was conceived because I, I I noticed quite a few people that were struggling and because of my personal circumstances of being housebound most of my life it was it was uh, it was strange to watch that in people of seeing their isolation take hold of them um, and like you said with the with your shows is to try and focus on the smaller things and and the comfort things and that's why mm. the question list that I sent you um, so if if you were to have a, a night in, a snuggly night in where you clear all the decks, how would you set yourself up for that? What what would that look like? Would it be a family thing? Would it be you? What kind of lighting would you have? Well, I'm lucky that I have um, I have a lazy boy sofa. 
Oh, um, nice. Which is the for me the greatest invention in the history of the world, apart from possibly the ninety nine cent KFC mini Philip burger, which was also <laughs> uh, wonderful. And so that's in my basement, and that's where my big telly is. So it would be me in my basement, lazy boy, fully reclined. Um, I have uh, like a little side table beside the sofa, which would have a craft IPA and a, 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 a super malty Scottish whiskey. I would have, I like um, my, my snack of choices there, like um, white cheese flavored popcorn. Uh, the Smart right. Foods brand is, is really good. And that nice cheesy snack goes well with the whiskey. And I'm on my own. My wife is in another room watching her own stuff so that she doesn't have to keep interrupting by telling me what her theory is about what's about to happen <laughs> on the movie or the TV show that we're watching because she's really, she's the worst person in the world for pausing it saying, oh, you know it's going to turn out that him and his wife are actually the same person. <laughs> and the worst thing is, most of the time she's right, Jason. That's what's so annoying about it. My wife is just like the kind of spoiler spirit on planet Earth. So yeah, that sounds similar to my setup that my other half and I like to watch things together because of our times, because of my health, I tend to be quite, quite a late night person. Right. We haven't watched anything together for ages. But the times when we do, I think I'm your wife where I annoy my <laughs> other half because I'm like, right, that person's been in that thing and oh, can you remember that? And then then Google comes out and we look for all those kind of IMDB and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So you, you prefer your your own sort of environment zoning out in front of the tv and i can't believe you've got a lazy boy that is top dream list for me i want a reclining yeah well it's it's interesting because for me it's been the two greatest kind of north american things that i have been able to purchase since coming out here and and i think the two quintessential uh, north american things is the lazy boy and i have a truck um, which is you have to have in Canada. I have a Ford F-150 truck, um, which, and it's funny because when I was in Nova Scotia and I just had, um, can't even remember, just like a normal car. And I literally was the only person that didn't have a truck. And Canada is dominated by trucks. So I have one of them as well. And so that and the Lazy Boy are just the two greatest things. I, I think it's like, those are the things I will remember the most from my whole Canadian adventure would be like, um, yeah, remember Canada? I had a truck and a lazy boy. <laughs> um, and I know we're not we're not going to take the truck back because the steering wheel's on the wrong side. And uh, and I'm not sure. Hopefully, we'll take the lazy boy back. But these things are pretty pretty big, and they're pretty, you know. So I think it's okay with the house we're in now. But I think we might end up having to leave the lazy boy here as well, unfortunately. Well, I've I've got my eye on a specific one, um, so I'll send you the link to that because I think that might fulfil your your lazy boy needs oh, cool. if you come over here. I've tried it; it's still on my wish list, and I don't, it's one of those things I don't know how we're going to fit in our, in our house, but I'm determined to make yeah. it fit. It's, we're going to arrange the house around the lazy boy somehow. Um, so yeah. you say you got your you got your own basement as well, so that's that's somewhere that you you like to sort of zone out in, actually in your own basement. Yeah, it's, it wasn't. It was never supposed to be my basement, um, but it's just weird that it's just kind of gravitated to being my basement. And it's so strange that we um, we all have our own zones in the house. That's it's strange. Like my my wife's zone is like the living room, and that's where she watches all her naked and afraid's and America's Next Great Cupcake uh, and all that stuff. <laughs> 
Um, my my kids, we're we're we're, we're lucky that we we live in the suburbs in Calgary, and it's it's a lot cheaper to have a, a house there than it is in the UK. So it's you, it's pretty easy to have a a, a decent sized house. So, you know, we kind of have that. There's there's a top the top part of the house where the bedrooms has a lounge area and that's where the kids kind of hang out. And so it's, um yeah, it was, it was never meant to be my basement, but it has become that. And it's so weird that my, my kids got to the stage and I, I find it quite sad because one of the, I, I said, I've, I've struggled to connect with my kids, but the one thing I've always been able to connect with them over is movies and, uh, and TV and music and and it really used to be a big thing for us was we would go to the movies every single week. But uh -huh. recently, it was about a year and a half ago. No, maybe about a year ago. And they all of a sudden were like, no, we don't want to go. We don't want to watch movies with our parents anymore. And even like even in the house, like last night, my wife and I watched Ad Astra. And I'm like, oh, this could be a great family movie because it's about space and everything. And none of the kids like, no. They just, they honestly, they will not watch a movie. They'll play board games with us still, right? They'll play, you know, they'll play video games with us, but they will not watch movies with us anymore. It's very strange. So yeah, so as a result, the basement is basically mine now because this is where I've got my my little Twitch channel, um, the Twitch hole, as I call it. That's in the basement. Um, so, uh, and then I have my little music corner with my guitars and everything. So yeah, so it basically is, no one else uses the basement apart from apart from me. See, I'm now making notes. So, right, first of all, we're going to get into the next question because you gave us a brilliant lead-in. But before that, I need to take a quick detour. Uh, what guitars have you got? Okay, I um, I have got... Where else? I keep forgetting the names. I, you know, it's horrible because I have guitars, but I'm not a guitar geek. Um, I've got a Gibson SG. I have got oh, a nice. Telecaster. I've got... Um, what make is this one? This is a... My favourite one is, uh, what is this one called? Si yeah, Simon and Patrick. So here's this thing. Um, I was a classical guitarist at school. That was kind of one of the things I did. So I've always liked acoustic guitars. And, um, and unfortunately, the air in, um, in Calgary is exceptionally dry. And no one told me that that kills guitars. So I had this amazing right. guitar that I bought when my band in the UK, my XFM Scotland band was on tour and I broke a, a, a pickup in a guitar I had, so I had to buy a new semi-acoustic and it was this beautiful one from a random little music shop in Newport Pagno, Buckinghamshire. And it had a matching case and it was my favorite guitar of all time. Everybody used to always say, oh my God, that's an amazing looking guitar. And I brought it out to Calgary and within a month, it, it broke, the wood warped because it was so dry. You have to have little hydration things in your guitars. So then as a result of that, someone's like, oh, you know, this, this is really great Simon and Patrick Luthiers. I think they're Montreal or Quebec or something. So I got one of them and that's my that's my kind of go-to guitar. So I've got a couple of electrics as well, but I don't really play electric guitar because uh, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not very good at electric guitar. I don't, I know you know, I, I know what I love to listen to, but I can, ne I, I never sound remotely like that. So <laughs> it just depresses me when I play electric guitar. I had no idea that, that it, that Canada killed guitars. That's, that's a whole new... <laughs> I think it's just Calgary. I think it's just Calgary kills guitars. I think the rest of Canada is quite moist, um, but yeah, but Calgary is just like super dry. And and it, it like, it's honestly, um, if you have, like like I do, because I played like, um, I played football for, you know, 
20, 30 years, you know, amateur, Sunday league, five-a-side, etc., without ever stretching, because I was that generation that never stretched. And as a result, my knees are shot to hell. If you've got any problems with knees or backs, don't move to Calgary, because the air is so dry, your body is racked with pain every single day when you wake up in the morning because the air is so dry. It's really bad. You've got to drink about 40 tonnes of water every single day to stay hydrated. It's really strange. I think it's the altitude as well because we're about, you know, 4,000 metres above sea level or something here. Wow, jeez. And, and then you mentioned that, um, that you do, you like your films. And so this question I'm going to put in two different frames. So if you was to pick a comfort film for you in your basement, what would it be? And if you was to go for a comfort film for your family, one that is, you know, like wrapping yourself in a blanket, what would that be? I think for me, it's um, it's probably Goodfellas, um, which is bizarre to have such a violent movie as a comfort movie. But I think that, because I know the film really well, that, that's always something quite good when you're flicking around the channels and you come across a Goodfellas or a Die Hard or something that you've seen lots of times that you can you can easily jump into the middle of and jump out. And But I also think Goodfellas is a movie about family, uh, that they look after each other. Unless you're a rat, in which case you die. But I think because it's a film about families and it's also a film about big gatherings and it's a film about great meals. Yeah, and yeah. I, th I think because of being aware of not having family or having family on the other side of the world and I miss them that uh, you know I, when I watch movies that feature families it, it makes me you know I think that comforts me it's like family by association so yeah so I'd say Goodfellas for me in terms of the family you know it's difficult because like I say these damn teenagers of mine just do not want to watch any movies with us anymore um it would, oh, I, you know what? They would probably still watch um, uh, any any of the Marvel movies. That's what really, it, oh, it's yeah. my my kind of movie going with my children was in two eras. My oldest daughter, Molly, who's now uh, uh, 21. So when she was little, it was Pixar. You know, it was all the toy stories and all that stuff that we watched together. But with my, my two other kids, it's been the Marvel movies. They have defined our whole kind of parents and movie experience with them. So... <laughs> I think, I think it would probably, I think it would be Age of Avengers, Age of Ultron, more than it, because I think that's the ones that we've had the most fascinating conversations about, um, especially as the kids have got older, as they've seen um, how much human beings have absolutely screwed up the world. That we kind of quite like Ultron. We're quite sympathetic to Ultron as a bad guy because his whole kind of theory was that no humanity was a virus that was destroying the world. So for the good of the world, it would have to be snuffed out. And so I think that's that's a really interesting discussion to have with kids as they get older. Because first of all, they're like, oh no, he's a bad robot. You know, he's trying to kill the world. But then they go, actually, do you know what? He's got a point. My 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 um my two daughters are rabidly environmentalist. And so they're just like, well, you know, look at how we've killed the world. It's not actually, it's, it's, they're a bit more sympathetic to people like him. I'm not saying they're going to go out and become, you know, a narco-terrorist that will try and wipe out the world. But uh, yeah, I think Avengers Age of Ultron would be, would be the one we'd watch. I, I completely agree with you that quite often my comfort films are a little bit bizarre. They're not always, you know, soft. They can be a little bit violent, but... Do you think that is because of purely nostalgia? You know the script, you know what's coming, or like you said, is it is it hooks within the film? For so for you, 
uh, Goodfellas, it's it's food, it's comfort, it's community. Have you got others like that that you you turn to as well? And... Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think it's I think it's nostalgia. It's nostalgia more than anything else. I think that what's great about movies and TV shows uh, is that they take you back to times in your life when you felt safe and you felt yeah. close to people. Um, so yeah, I think that the uh, so that that's why it's more like the Avengers movies for me. So yeah, I'd, I'd say it's mostly. It's mostly nostalgia. Like I can't, I can't think of any like relaxing movie that I would watch again. That's a genuine like relaxing movie. I'm not, I'm not like going to sit down and watch Babette's Feast or something <laughs> like that, you know. So it's, um, so it's strange that I can't, I can't think of any. I mean, like I find Train Spotting much more relaxing than you know any kind of like Merchant Ivory <laughs> movie, yeah, for example. Yeah. So yeah, it's strange, and I, th- I think that's just about. It's the familiar and it's uh, and it's nostalgia. It's where it takes you back to. How about a, a comfort box set? Have you got one that you've particularly watched over the years? One that's familiar that you that you can revisit in the same sort of vein. Again, I think in terms of like connecting me to a time um, where things were simpler and better, um, and especially linked in with one of my kids, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I would well, say yeah. I'd say for me that's the greatest TV series ever, and. What comforts me about Buffy and her, uh, is that her and her pals work together. They're all these kind of different people. They're the geeks as well. They're the people that aren't necessarily popular, which is, I just love that trope. It's just, it's the greatest trope. It's, it's why I love Stephen King books, you know, because, you know, it's St- Stephen King's heroes are never the popular kids. The, 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 the kids who aren't popular. And that's so, that's so important. That's so healthy for people to mm. read stories like that and to have the quote unquote unpopular kids being the heroes. Um, uh, but they work together and, uh, but they say really witty things as well, which is great. The script for Buffy is just it's exceptional. And I always wished, and I think a lot of people did in the UK, like of my age who grew up with the um, the John Hughes Brackpack movies, things like, you know, like Pretty in Pink and The Breakfast Club and everything, is that we all wished we were at high school in America because we just, we wanted the... We wanted to be in those corridors with the lockers. We wanted yeah. to, you know, to have those jackets that the football players wore. We wanted to ride on those wonderfully iconic big yellow school buses. And what's been great about having kids that have grown up in Canada is it's the same. So my kids have gone to those schools. I have dropped them off at the big yellow bus. So that's been really good to kind of vicariously live that through them. But um, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer was the first TV show that I really connected with one of my kids over, and that was my oldest kid, Molly. And um, my wife was furious because I actually started watching Buffy uh, with Molly when she was about uh, four, three, three years old, four years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and just we just kept re-watching it and re-watching it over the years. And it's her favorite show of all time. And so it's, uh, yeah, I think that was the first time that I realized oh hang on a second i can actually be a good dad i just need the right tv show or movie to help me so yeah so i still i still love buffy it's just it's amazing i love that three years old and you're watching vampire and werewolf programs that's amazing i love that yeah my wife was not happy about that at all (laughs) i've got a similar story my nan let us watch uh the original fog when i was about four years old oh shit yeah that's which you can uh, 
and we kept saying throughout it, it's like, well, it's Christmas time, so nothing's going to hurt us because it's Christmas time. So, <laughs> so I completely empathise watching Buffy the Vampire. So, is there any modern day ones that you particularly go for? Uh, are you a box set person, or would you pretend? potentially put on a film oh no 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 i'm i'm, I'm definitely a, a tv series binger um uh, at the moment i'm working my way through the russians um oh. which uh, which i really like i love the russians because so for if for people who don't know it's about two uh, deep cover uh, russian spies who are brought up as americans um sorry no it's called the americans isn't it the americans that's what it's oh, called that. sorry right. not the russians yeah i love it so much i can't even get the name right so yes the <laughs> americans and it's about um this program that russia uh, had where they uh, sent people to live as Americans during the Cold War. So it's about this couple. And what's amazing about it is that um, they have kids. So part of it is the spy thriller, but part of it is this family drama as well. And at times it actually almost is like a family sitcom. And it's a really difficult thing to pull off. So, uh, so I love that. But I'm, uh, I mean, all, all the kind of usual shows that, that people love, I've, you know, I've been addicted to, you know, Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, all the usual suspects, Breaking Bad and The Wire and The Sopranos and Mad Men. I've kind of gone through uh, pretty much or pretty much all of those dramas. Um, I'm not a big sitcom person uh, unless it's uh, unless it's like that top tier sitcom you know curb your enthusiasm veep stuff like that but yeah. just your normal sitcoms I, you know I'm not, I'm not really that bothered about but any any tv drama and I, well i say american i don't watch a lot the only british dramas i watch are ones about bent cops um right. apart from yeah. that it's all um, it's all it's all american stuff i watch the, the way that the the viewing habits have changed the fact that we can watch everything on demand now is is such a weird way of doing it because I, I, you know, I don't want to keep gushing about Games Master because I was imagine you're quite fed up with it. But the fact that I used to get set up on a Thursday night, that was the thing to look forward to. And I don't know, do you think that kids today can get that same degree of looking forward to something? Bearing in mind it's everything is streamed and on demand. Um, no, they can't. And uh, my wife tries, bless her, with um, with my my uh, youngest daughter Sharky, that they have um. What's the the the, the J Lo series where they dance? So you think you can dance? Oh yeah, a, yeah. So th those kind of, the, the the talent shows. My, my youngest daughter is a, is like a kind of you know is one of those all singing all dancing kids. And so uh, so my wife will always be like you know oh it's Wednesday night it's so you think you can dance or oh it's you know it's it's um you know it's um it's X Factor and and bless her she really does try to do that. But um, yeah, occasionally it works. But no, they don't. The kids don't just have that thing, and that's a shame. I, you know, I, I when I grew up, I, I, you know, my house was definitely one of those. Okay, it's Saturday night. You know, everyone sits around watching the telly and all the light entertainment yeah. um, fodder. So it's a shame that you kind of don't have that. Actually, that leads me quite nicely into the next set of questions. So this next set of questions uh, is important to me. So it's nostalgia. So. If, I look back on things with with quite a fondness because it's of better times and things like that. So you mentioned things that you know Saturday nights that you get set up. Is there a TV or or a game show that you particularly look fond upon enough to bring back? Maybe. Um. No. Well. Well. Not not one from my childhood. I think. Um. I'd love to see the West Wing come back because it'd be a reminder of what it's like to have a decent president in the white house <laughs> but it's weird because the things that i you know the things that i remember most vividly watching as a child was actually uh, live sport 
And what was bizarre about me was it wasn't with my dad. It was with my mum. And like I, I would sit and watch athletics with my mum and especially that whole, that wonderful uh, Sebastian Coe, Steve Ovet, Steve Cram, British middle distance dominance era or the darts at the same time, the Jockey Wilson, Eric Bristol era, the snooker as well, uh, the, the Steve Davis, Hurricane Higgins era, sh even show jumping. I, I remember I used to sit at night and watch show jumping with my mum and love it. And, um, and it's weird how my mum who was not a sports person, never played sports at all, doesn't, you know, um, doesn't really watch football. But for some reason, all these smaller sports, I'd always sit and watch on the telly with her as a kid. And uh, and so, yeah, and I loved that. And I thought it was really, it kind of made, my mum's been the biggest influence uh, on my, my life. And I think that that's one of the reasons why is that she kind of was, she wasn't like a normal mum. She had these kind of slightly, you know, she was like, oh, well, come and watch the snooker, which not a lot of mums do. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think, so I, I, I yeah, that's, that, that's my kind of, my favourite TV memories for like, from when I was a kid. So in terms of bringing them back, they've not really gone away. I think the snooker's still there. I think, <laughs> The dart, well, the, the the darts is even bigger. I mean, oh goodness me! I tell you, like when uh, when I get back to the UK at some point, I would love to go and see the World Darts Championship live. Now, when I see how massive it is now, yeah. with these huge, big kind of you know places they watch them in with all the signs and everything, that stuff would be fantastic. It's it's, it's like a wrestling atmosphere now, isn't yeah. it? Darts, yeah. Yeah, and I, I notice over your shoulder you've got a dartboard. So is, is, is darts that you play? Uh, yeah, I do. It's weird because I I never played in the UK, but uh, when I was uh, working for Q107 Toronto, uh, it just so happened that the uh, two guys I did the uh, the breakfast show with uh, Ryan Parker and Johnny Flairboy Garbit. One of the rules of Canadian radio is that at least one person on a morning show has to have a nickname. So it can't just be Johnny Garbit. It's Johnny Flairboy Garbit. <laughs> and, um, and that's normally the producer. The producer of the show, the one that pushes the buttons and works the faders, always has to have a one-word nickname. That's the right. rule over here. So yeah, so, uh, so Ryan and Flairboy love darts. And our boss, uh, Blair Bartram, who was, uh, was a huge Anglophile, and uh, he loved darts as well. So we had a dartboard in the office and we would come off and it was just such wonderful times. We'd come off the air having done the breakfast show at like 9 a.m. And, and we just play darts for hours in the office, oh, wow. which would really annoy other, because other people would be getting in. And this was a, a company called uh, Chorus, who are a massive, massive multimedia company with TV shows and TV studios in the building. So all these people would, would come, would turn up for work at nine o'clock ready to start and have production meetings about big TV shows. And there'd be us playing darts because we'd have, we'd have started at 5 a.m. <laughs> and we were finished our show for the day. So, so that was the... And then when it got to like about 11, we'd go on a Friday, we'd go to the pub when it opened and play darts. So that was really it. It just um, it kind of reminded me of Toronto. And it just for some bizarre reason, I like... My kind of best friend in Toronto that I didn't work with, Big Derek, who's a realtor and a state agent, he plays, it just seemed like in Toronto, everybody I met played darts, which doesn't strike me as a Canadian thing at all. Right. So I just fell into this wonderful pocket of people who played darts. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that, that's why I've got the dartboard. I'm with you as well on snooker. I often put that on. If, if, if I want a nap in the afternoon, I'll put snooker on because it's just so cathartic. We just yeah. like, like 
even the noise of those balls clinking, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, it's I, fine. I that, it. that, that for me, um, interesting. When I was in the UK and I first started suffering from insomnia, it was uh, the baseball did that for me because Channel 5 used to show it and it would yes. be on about one o'clock in the morning. Exactly. So I would put that on and it's that, it's another sport, like cricket as well, where it's just that gentle, that gentle noise. It's uh, it's really, it's really, um, what's the word? Somnabulistic, is that is that the correct word? I don't know, we'll use that though. That's a yeah, perfect word. That's what, yeah. I, I'm so pleased you said that about Channel 5 and baseball because I was gutted when they took it off. They, mm. it, it lasted for about two years yeah. and then they just they just dropped it and I really got into it. Yeah. I've, I've always loved American football, but the fact that they put on baseball is like, right, this is going to be the one for me because like you said, you can zone out to it. So do you, do you manage to get, because mm. there is a bit of a baseball culture in, in Canada, I think, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays have been world champions um, in that way that they call them world champions, even though it's just <laughs> yeah. North America that do it. Um, yeah, what, well, what's interesting is that um, uh, I, I used to go and see the Blue Jays now and again when I lived in Toronto. But as a, it's weird. As a live event to be there, I found baseball unbelievably boring because, because it was a sport I associated with trying to get to sleep, yeah. which you don't really want to do in a live environment. And also, it's so expensive to buy a beer or snacks at the Blue Jays. And these games would last like five hours. So you'd end up, you'd drop about $200 just on, on fucking snacks. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so baseball was a bit boring. I, I much preferred going to see hockey, which is weird. I, ice hockey, uh, as we call it in the UK, but you do not call it. If you call it ice hockey in Canada, <laughs> they hate it. It's just hockey, right? And so I love going to see hockey live in Canada. I don't like it so much watching it on TV, but it's the other end of the sports sound scale. It's the, the live sounds of a hockey game are incredible. The slamming into the boards, the the, uh, the the puck on the ice is just absolutely fantastic. So no, I'd, in terms of sport, sport here, I'd always... Uh, I'd always go hockey over um, uh, basket over baseball, but in Toronto I went basketball over everything. Uh, going to see the Toronto Raptors was because culturally it was the most kind of working class sport. It was the cheapest sport because the demographic was a, it was a non you know it was it was a, a non white audience sport, um, and so uh, so it was always much cheaper um, for for people like, people like me to go and see basketball rather than the stuff like the hockey and the uh, and the baseball. So I used to go to the basketball um, with my my son Charlie a lot and uh, to see the Raptors and and that was great. Wow. I've got to give a shout out to one of my friend's films, uh, Ice Guardians, which is all about the uh, the enforcer role in ice hockey. If you if you've never seen that, look it up. It's it's really good, I think. I haven't, but if but if I can name two Canadian movies that are uh, that are of a similar ilk, uh, Goon and the sequel. Yes. Goon Two, um, yeah. both brilliant, brilliant comedies about that, and that's what's that's my favorite thing about hockey is it's the only sport that has an official enforcer that a guy who is on the team um, who is basically there to defend the skillful players, and if that means beating the shit out of one of the other guys, they'll do it. And it's a weird because that's I'm kind of swimming against the tide here in Canada because the tide has turned against the goons and against fighting in hockey. But for mm -hmm. me, it's 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 my favorite part, and that's really not not the done thing to say in Canada these days, but fights in hockey when they drop the gloves are incredible. And what is amazing is having grown up as a football fan in the UK and anytime any players 
do so much as push each other on the pitch. They get a red card and the theory is, oh, but if they start fighting on the pitch, the fans will start fighting, you know, in the stands. Well, A, the fans fight anyway. And secondly, with hockey... I've never seen I've never seen two sets of fans even raise their voices to each yeah, other. Yeah. That you can have this bloodletting on the ice, but it, it doesn't spill over into the fans. And there's maybe a theory that because it happens on the ice, it doesn't happen with the fans. That's that's the interesting thing about this film, Ice Guardians. It, it gives the academic perspective over the goon oh. role, and how you could argue that counterintuitively it does make things safer which mm. I was open to all arguments. I had no preconceptions, but it really did change my viewpoint on it. So definitely look how Guardians are. Mm. Yeah. And so that, that leads me quite nicely to this, this question uh, that I've got here is, if, you, if there was a live event that you look forward to, it could be, you know, I've used examples of WrestleMania, the Olympics. What live event would you potentially set yourself up for? Um, the two things I have missed in Canada the most, apart from family, as, um, has been football, and uh, and live music. That Toronto as a city is great for live music, but I've missed festivals, um, and in particular, Tea in the Park, oh, yeah. which uh, uh, Scotland's Glastonbury, which I was there from the very first year it started, and had so many wonderful experiences there. And what was great about Tea? I was so I was very lucky that. Um, uh, when you're a Scottish celebrity, it's a much it's a much smaller pool, so you're a much bigger fish. So from the first tee in the park, I would always have backstage passes, and when I was actually on the radio, when I was doing XFM Scotland there, I was actually allowed to uh, to uh, put my tent up in the backstage area. I was the only person, right? So you'd have all the porter cabins where the radio stations were broadcasting from. And I had my little tent there, which meant I got all the clean toilets in the morning and everything. <laughs> so it was just wonderfully <laughs> idyllic. But by that same token, I never used to hang around in the backstage area um, much. For me, it was all my, me and my friend David Wells, who was a musician in Scotland, we would try and... Uh, Every year we try and beat the previous year's records for the sheer amount of bands that we could see. And we had a thing, unless it was a headliner, three songs. That was it, three songs. And we would literally see 33 different bands over the weekend, three wow. songs each. So I just, oh, I just, I love Tina Park so much. Unfortunately, they, they, they stopped it because it moved locations. And uh, and there was a couple of deaths, I think, if I, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago. So they stopped it after that. And I'm not sure it will ever return. But if it ever returns, I'd be at Tina Park like, just try and stop me. And the other thing is uh, Celtic Football Club. As much as I, I've been, I've been lucky that in um, in Canada that uh, Toronto FC, a great football team to go and see because tons of British expats go and see them. So there, there's a big ultras movement, and they have the flares being set off and everything like that. So it's it's a really good home crowd atmosphere. Ditto here in, in Calgary, our club that just started last year, Calgary Cavalry. Again, it's a lot of British expats. So it's a really good atmosphere at the home end, but nothing compared to Celtic Park. Celtic Park is just uh, is amazing, and I can't wait to get back there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You don't have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but... Am I right in thinking that when they've done these uh, celebrity football matches of like, uh, I don't know, there's one England versus the rest of the world and there was something. Have you taken part in one of those? Uh, no, but I'd, years ago, I was in the uh, the charity game that they had before the uh, Otto Windscreens Shield final and it was Birmingham against, I can't remember who they were against. But uh, yeah, I played in a match before then and on my team, this would have been about 95, and on my, there was me and on my team there was uh, Chris Evans, who was a decent player, Angus Dayton, who was a really good player. He was a really good player. And um, John Alford from London's Burning, who I'm probably more famous now for Cocaine Scandal. And so, uh, and Stan Boardman, who was a wanker. And then on the other team was uh, Todd Carty, and uh, Jim Rosenthal, because I remember I um, I nutmegged Jim Rosenthal. I was playing left wing, and uh, I always try and play a position in football that reflects my politics. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I remember I nutmegged Jim Rosenthal, and then I went and I was heading into the box, and I'm like, Stan Boardman is screaming for the ball in the middle. Hey, hey, fucking pass it, fucking pass it. And I'm like, oh, come on, I'm at Wembley Stadium. I'm just about into, I'm going for goal. I'm going for goal, I'm at Wembley. And then Todd Carty comes in and, takes my legs right away from me. <laughs> um, so that was a cl- I so nearly scored at Wembley. But um but yeah no I um yeah so I, I that that was what that was before the whole year of these televised sport aid or whatever they're called soccer aid matches. I knew there was something I knew that I'd seen something yeah. giving it. Yeah, yeah. that was it just suddenly occurred to me. Because I, I love those moments. It was like Right, yeah, you've got a soap star over here, a TV yeah. theater over here. It's just the most bizarre <laughs> and I used thing in a way. and I it was great when I um when I used to write for uh, 90 Minutes Football Magazine, we they would always have a um, a like a, a celebrity pro celebrity uh, tournament at the Phoenix Festival when that was still running. So I played a couple of years for the 90 Minutes team and played with uh, who did we have on our one year with Damon Alburn, Terry Hall, Ian Brody from the Lightning Seeds. Yeah, so oh, wow. I played played with those guys, um, and uh, and that, that that was always that was always fun. It was always fun when you'd. Um, when you'd see someone like famous and uh, and then be like, oh my God, they're a really good football player as well. And then you'd be like, well, what, of course, why wouldn't they be? Because everyone played football at school, you know? So there's yeah. bound to be, you know, some of them that are good. And even people like, I remember playing against the Radio 1 team 
a Steve Lamag in goals, who was a, not a big guy, but he was a really good goalkeeper. And even John Peel, John Peel could still get around the pitch. <laughs> so it was a, I loved, I used to love those kind of pro celebrity football matches. They were great. So that's a perfect war story you've got for later in life as well. Isn't it? <laughs> I remember when I was on there. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> Um, have you got a bucket list that you, you said you've traveled a fair bit, you know, Canada. Um, yeah. Is there a bucket list destination that you'd go to? It, it could be in the universe. It could be on this, on this, on this world. Where would you go to if all bets are off? The, um, Joshua tree in California. It, um, it's not on the bucket list cause I've been there already and I know bucket lists are supposed to be places you haven't been to. So like, okay. How we've always wanted to go to Hawaii. Um, that's always been the family's bucket list destination. But the problem with bucket list destinations is if you do them and they're not good, that's horrible. So if I had a choice, I'd rather go to the best place I've been than the best place I've never been. And I think that's just be just because life is so disappointing these days. So what's <laughs> great about Joshua Tree was it was the last vacation that we ever had. It was um, for my wife's 50th birthday a couple of years ago. And we rented a wee house in the desert and they had two what they call cowboy baths outside, which were just these big metal baths that you see in the cowboy movies. And you'd fill them with cold water and you'd lie in those baths in like 35 degree heat in the desert. And I'd just be listening to music and you would watch, you'd sit in them in the afternoon and every, literally every 15 minutes, as the sun passed at a different place in the sky, all the colours in the desert changed. The colours oh. of the sand changed slightly, the sky changed, the plants, the thing. It was just the most wonderful kind of moving tableau. And I felt such utter calmness and serenity and peace, which I very rarely felt in my life. So uh, it's amazing. I would, I would just urge everybody to go there if they get the chance. So, uh, so yeah, I would, um, I, I, that would be my bucket list. Even though I've been there before, it would be my that bucket sounds, list. That, that sounds amazing. I because yeah. for me, if I could, and yeah, you know, I know that I'm never going to stand chance because of the situation. But uh, the Northern Lights, and it sounds similar to that of that, that, that just you know, giving yourself over to something that's so mystical. Do you know what's so what's weird though, Jason? Is um, like apparently the Northern Lights are like all over the place here. Right in yeah, Calgary, yeah. we've we've never seen them. We've never we keep saying there's 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 a there's a, what a couple of the ski resorts do during the summer here in the Rocky Mountains is that they have Northern Lights weekends where you know you'll pay and you'll kind of, they'll have big cookouts and everything like that. But we've never done them, and it's a sh I guess we if we're planning on moving back, we need to kind of try and do that stuff pretty soon because it seems perverse that we've been. You know, we've been living here for nearly four years and it's like the most Northern Lights friendly part of Canada and we've not seen them yet. So we must do that. Yeah, please. My my, my in-laws have been to BC to see the Northern right. Lights. I, I don't think they managed on that occasion. I think they saw them in Iceland in the end. But yeah, right. please do. Please get out there and go hunt, yeah. hunting for the Northern Lights. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, again, you know, the outdoors and the desert and the Joshua Tree was something that was really impactful for you. But if you got somewhere in your mind, um, if you were to kind of, you know, try and send yourself and walk through in your mind and relax, is there a, a go-to place that you've got? Well, I'm, I'm lucky that uh, that we live right beside the Rocky Mountains here in Calgary, and I do a lot of hiking. I, I started off in Scotland doing it, and uh, I, I just absolutely loved it. And so there's about 12 great 
mountains I've climbed out here. And and I often do, if I'm lying in bed at night and I can't sleep or if I'm feeling down or that, you know, those times when you wake up early in the morning and you're trying to get back to sleep, that I'll often close my eyes and I'll retrace my steps up, um, up Horseshoe Ridge, for example. And it is, I associate it also with a way of, of clearing out depression that um, if uh, so many times out here, if I've been depressed, I'll literally get in my car, drive 45 minutes and climb a mountain. Wow. And I, I like to do it on my own, which is a bit of a shame because I have a really good friend here called Jamie, who's a Scottish guy and uh, who's a big, big, big hiker as well. And so many times I'm like, do you know what, I'd just rather do it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really bad. But part of the reason is, though, Jason, is that he's 15 years younger than me, twice as fit, and he just sprints up the mountain. Whereas I'm not, you know, I'm not fast. I'm a Capricorn. You know, I'm, I'm the classic <laughs> Capricorn. It takes me a while. I'm the goat. It takes me a while to get up the mountain, but I get there in the end. So I like to do it at my own pace with my own thoughts. And I think that it is anytime you are near anything of outstanding natural beauty, whether that is by the sea or up a mountain or even in a garden, right? What, you know, looking at flowers, I think you you can't help but be aware of the two things that the world is bigger than you imagine, but also no matter how awful that your life is, all this stuff is free, right? It, I, I can look up at, a, 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 I can look up at a blue sky and Alberta is known as the, the, the big sky province because it just the blue sky is freezing cold, but the skies are always blue. And that's the same sky that a millionaire looks at. It's not any better for him. Yeah. And and I think that's that could be quite healthy sometimes to look upon these things that are the same for every one of us. And if your depression is fueled by a sense of failure, which I think a lot of people's are, I know mine certainly is that it's quite good to go, all right, you know, I mean, I might be in the shit just now, but that's exactly the same sky that, um, you know, whoever, multimillionaire of choice looks up at. I love that philosophy and I completely subscribe to that as well because mm. um, I, I, if I can, I try and get out because I've got countryside on my doorstep because I live in Kent and it's just, just that humbling experience of, you know, looking at the sky, at the clouds and the sunsets and you're just right it's the same for all of us and we can all appreciate it. It's a level up yeah. and I love that. Um, and clouds, does... cl cl clouds are great because again, because it's a, it's a constantly evolving tableau. They just move all the time. And I just, I, I, again, I, t I, I, I take great moments of calmness sometimes where I'll just go and I'll lie on my back deck um, on my wee chair thing out there and just literally look up, look up at the clouds and just see them moving. And it's really, if you kind of, if you kind of really concentrate on that and it just, it's almost like it just flushes out all the toxic shit from your head. It's yeah. good. How does Scotland and Canada compare with regards to landscape? Well, it's, that's, it's, it's a really good question because um, the, the Rocky mountains compared to the uh, mountains in the highlands of Scotland, it's like if you took the Scottish highlands, made the mountains five times as big and put sunshine <laughs> on them <laughs> that's basically what it is is that they're five times bigger and they're sunny and this is not the the, the mountains in scotland are not nearly as high but they're a lot more dangerous to climb because it's pissing with rain a lot of the time <laughs> and it's really slippy and it's really treacherous and there's so many times climbing in scotland where the fog will come in when you're halfway up a mountain and you can't move because you'll fall off the edge 
But by the same token, there is another wonderful level of colour that moisture gives to nature, that rain gives to nature, that yeah. Scotland has uh, infinite shades of green in the Highlands, which is quite incredible. And again, I just, I, 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 that's one thing I cannot wait to get back to see. Yeah. I've got family in the Isle of Skye and, and one mm. day I'd, lo I'd love to see it up there. I don't know yeah. if I'll ever manage it, but yeah, it's certainly potentially bucket list for me just to kind yeah. of experience that landscape. Um, we, we briefly touched upon nostalgia, um, but is there a particular childhood toy that you connected to or something that was a bit, a bit of a favorite maybe? Um, again, I, 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 I'm going to disappoint the, uh, the Games Master fans here because I could say the ZX Spectrum, that certainly was a big part of my childhood. I agree with that. But uh, Action Man, uh, Action Man for me was just, I've, I've got so many photographs that are in boxes that I come across of me at different stages of my childhood with my Action Men in different natural settings, <laughs> like on the beach or when it's snowing. And, and I just, I was just, I absolutely loved Action Men. So much so that, I have some now, I have some in a box somewhere in the garage that I actually, I have a lot of toys. I'm that, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who has all the bobbleheads and, and stuff like that. But when, um, when I used to do a lot of stuff on Richard and Judy's show in like the uh, kind of early 2000s. Uh, just a little kind of wonderful little feature. I basically was on it as a guest once and we really got on and I loved Richard and Judy. They became, they were almost like my surrogate TV mum and dad. They were so oh, wow. paternal and maternal to me. They were lovely. And so I started doing these kind of, the more random items on their show. Like once I went around um, uh, Melton Mowbray and with a guy who claimed that he could tell blind taste pork pies and tell you exactly what butcher they came from. So I was always <laughs> oh, doing kind of funny stuff like that with them, which was great. But one thing that we did was there was me and two other celebrities. I can't remember who they were, but this was when eBay started and they gave us each 100 pounds and we were supposed to see who could make the most money trading on eBay over the course of a month, right? So we got 100 pounds, we're supposed to buy and sell and come back at the end of the month. And all I did was I bought uh, original action men on eBay and then put them back on for ridiculous prices knowing they would never sell but I'd get to keep them at the end <laughs> so so basically I have a box I have like a hundred pounds worth of OG action men stuff with the proper hair and the gripping hands and everything thanks to Richard and Judy I can't believe you swindled Richard and Judy That's... <laughs> I, did. I basically did I'm sorry <laughs> I think I can even remember those features as well because because of my health, I used to watch this morning a fair bit. It used to be on, and I think I can remember you doing those features actually. So I yeah, they were they were lovely people. They were great people. Uh, and on that same sort of theme, because uh, you're not alone on that, by the way. You, Marcus Brigstock, and Robin Ince all are action men geeks even oh, to this day. They oh, still that's interesting. It. Yeah, good. yeah. And we've touched upon this. You, you mentioned that you're still liking a good board game with your kids. And also, you know, you like your darts. And of course, you're synonymous with video games. But if you was to pick a favourite game, what would, mm. what would be that? Um, like favourite like game uh, like of anything or f like specifically video game or favourite game like family board game or which, okay which then, yeah we can, we can cut it up a bit because originally it was just like any game you want it could be card game pub game but if you were I've got to quiz you on a favourite computer game but then also a favourite board game what would that be 
Well, I think that the um, the video game one's a difficult one. The game I played the most in my life would be FIFA, but I wouldn't say that's my favorite game because I think I like a lot of people. I I have an unhealthy addiction to FIFA, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's a positive thing. I think that the on playing FIFA online, which I do, is is one of the most toxic communities <laughs> really? on the planet. It's horrible. Wow. It's just absolutely horrible. There's like horrible people do it, and they just they it's just it's not good. So uh, Final Fantasy VII is a game I oh, keep well. yeah. um, I, I keep returning to in my head as the most immersive video game experience that I ever had. I and it's the only time. I ever cried playing a video game. There's something that happens in that game, and I won't spoil it. There's a moment in that game when I, something happens to a particular character, and I cried as a as a grown man. And at the time, I was doing a show called Live and Dangerous on Channel Five that went out at midnight Monday to Friday. And uh, my wife, I'd only just uh, recently met her. We just recently moved in together, and she was making uh, promos trailers for the Paramount Channel and Nickelodeon. So I would get in from the show about. 1.15, in the morning. She'd be asleep and I'd start playing Final Fantasy VII and she'd get up at like 7.30 in the morning to go to work and I'd still be playing and I'd have been playing all night. And uh, and then this is one that morning she gets up and she comes in and I'm just staring at the screen and there's tears running there. She's like, what's happening? Wow. Blah, 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 just died. And I'm like, because it was, it's, it's not, it doesn't happen often in video games that like, or it certainly was the first time I kind of was aware of playing a video game where a main character died, and uh, and I thought that was absolutely incredible. And there's been more, there's been a couple of moments since um, the end of uh, Red Dead Redemption. I thought was really emotional, but nothing nothing tops that. So in terms of in terms of video games, especially if I'm looking for a kind of positive experience from them, then uh, Final Fantasy VII, without a doubt. In terms of like games in general. Uh, it's such a boring thing to say, but Uno, the card game, oh, yeah, yeah. is um, that has defined uh, gaming as a parent for me. We've always had Uno, and we have one particular set. Like we play a lot, we play a lot of board games as a family. Uh, this is one of the things that my kids still agree to do with us. They don't watch movies with us now, but they will still play board games. But Uno is the one that we've always had, and we have this one particular set. It's the Simpsons. Uno game in a metal box, and it's it's really hard to get these days. If you try to buy it on Amazon, it's like about one hundred and twenty dollars now. Wow. And uh, it's in a metal tin. We've still got all the cards, and and that's still we've got about, we've got about five different Uno sets, but that's the one we keep returning to. And I think that what is great about Uno is it's a really simple game. It's a really portable game, so we've always taken it on vacations with us. But it's also, as we've evolved as a family, it's a game where you can really shaft the person sitting next to you. And because we're a family of five, there's always factions to be made. <laughs> so so, uh, so I like that. It's kind of defined the factions in our family as we've evolved and as my kids have, have got older. I love the fact you still play board games. I, I'm really hoping that I get into that with, with my child-to-be. I... I I've I've loved the board game, but my other half doesn't play them. She thinks that they're boring. So yeah, I'm hoping that I get a new participant. <laughs> oh, you will. Grow up. You will. Kids love that stuff. It's great. So if we can have a bit of an appreciation moment, um, I like a smelly candle. Not everyone does, but if you used to make up a smelly candle yourself, what would you go into it? So I've used examples of like it could be lavender, it could be coffee, WD forty, anything like that. What would be your just completely bespoke one? I think that my. Uh... 
my favourite smell is the smell of my garden after it's rained. And Ooh. we are in the middle of thunderstorm season just now in Calgary. We had an enormous one last night. I mean, and 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 when I say thunderstorm, I mean, this is like apocalyptic. There's I, my, my mate was sending me videos of them driving home and like the bins are floating down on rivers. And there was one major highway here that was impassable because it flooded. So it's a biblical storms here. And so we had one last night, uh, but the smell of a garden after it rains is just what I love about it is in the same way that the, the, the smell of the sea is kind of indefinable, but it's kind it's salty, it's briny. But mm. I think the smell of a garden after it's rained, I don't mean the flowers, I just mean the kind of general foliage and the earth is an almost indescribable, indefinable yeah. smell. Um, and I think that's what is great about it because I love the sensory aspect of it, but I also love the intellectual sense that I go out there and I'll do that today where I'll sit there and go, right, what what does this smell of? And I'll try and put it together like a great perfumier. And so I think if I could take that smell indoors, it would be incredible. So yeah, that would be the smell of a garden after it's rained. I love that answer because it is right. It's un, it is indefinable because it's it's a freshness, it's an earthiness. Mm. It's yeah. what is it? Is there any particular flowers that that you? I'm not particular. I flowers set off my grace for me, but the only one I could take is lavender. But is there any any sense within the garden that specifically you like as well? Um, you know, a bog standard Shasta daisy, the the classic white daisy, and I say that because when I so when I when I got bought this wee farm in Nova Scotia and. And I converted one of the fields into a flower meadow. And I literally, um, I, I, I was so lucky that it worked. So there was this massive field and it was all overgrown with grass. And I just went out there every day for a month. And I just dug little tracks of kind of swirly patterns. And then I went into those tracks and just had packets after packets of box standard wildflower seeds. And I just scattered them on the tracks and just left it. And I think because they had been llama fields, so there was obviously a lot of manure and everything, there'd been sheep fields before them. So the soil was really fertile and all these incredible wildflowers grew out of them. But the predominant one was Shasta daisies. And I would just wake up in the morning and look out from a kitchen and see these kind of green fields of grass with these wonderful white strips of Shasta daisies in them. And it was uh, and it was almost like, you remember the uh, Pacers, that uh, that sweet when you were a kid, the minty sweet, it was the yeah, mint version yeah. of Chewitz, right? It was almost like that Pacer green with the white stripe. It was like a toothpaste. It was like <laughs> over great fields of minty toothpaste uh, of Aquafresh. I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to steal that idea as well because my other half loves wildflowers. So to do tracks, that's a brilliant oh. idea. I love that. I, I, don't, I, don't know where, I don't know where it came from. I, funnily enough, I got this, um, I bought this book, a Darmid Gavin's gardening book, and it's this book of these insanely large projects that nobody can actually afford to do. Um, so I don't know why people buy the book, but I think there was something in there where he did it, and I'm like, oh, let's see if I can do that. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, it was my, my first year in Canada was spent doing that. I, you know, we had our life savings. I, I wasn't planning on working in the media. I thought the money would last forever. And so it was great to have a year of your life because I, you know, it's, I, I was unbelievably lucky to get Games Master when I did, but then 
after that initial surge, especially after I left Gavis Master, it's bloody hard to keep a career going in the media. You have to work exceptionally hard. So mm. I was a total workaholic. And what was great about that first year was it was the first time in um, nearly 20 years that I hadn't been a media slave. So I was able to do these things, but also finally spend time with my children. Um, and also, our, the farmhouse was on the top of a hill and it went down to a river and we had a little dock on the river and the river went out to the sea. And so that year when I wasn't gardening, I was like swimming with my kids off this dock on the river out to the sea. So it was just this most amazing kind of idyllic time to be able to spend with your kids doing outdoor stuff like that. So I was, I was, it was almost worth completely running out of money and having to start again <laughs> at the bottom for that year. It was the best year of my life, happiest year of my life. And you've mentioned a few times that you know, books, you, you're a big reader. Um, is there any particular book that, that stands out for you that may have helped you or something that just, you know, is the right place, right time for it? Um, I think that uh, um, it's weird. I, I keep coming back to the book, uh, the novel I had to study for my A-level English, Virginia Woolf, To the Lighthouse, which was the the first book I ever read that I didn't understand. And it was really, really difficult and really dense. There's like 15 page chapters about a woman darning a stocking, right? And it just goes into stream of consciousness. And, and as someone who grew up reading Stephen King, it was really hard for me to understand this book. But I worked at it and I worked at it and it made my head hurt. And I was lucky that I had a great teacher, um, Mad Lizzie, we called her. She was just this lovely, ridiculously passionate um, uh, uh, woman who wore like kind of multiple layer dresses and big, big <laughs> colorful cardigans. And she was completely batty, but so passionate. And through her amazing teaching and her passion, there was only two of us in the whole level class that understood that book, me and my friend James Wood, who now is a poet in BC, actually, on Bowen Island. Oh, He's a poet. and um, um, But it was amazing to finally understand that book, to unlock it and realise the beauty that was within that book. And as a lesson, a life lesson of, it taught me to just stick at things if you don't understand them. That sometimes anything worth achieving is a struggle and it is hard. So, so yeah, Virginia Woolf. It's, it's weird because... I'm not sure I'd recommend that book to people because it's so, it's like James Joyce Ulysses. It's that kind of thing. It's really hard, but it was something that kind of just came along at a time when my brain needed to be stretched and it, mm. and it did stretch it. So I'm always very grateful for that book. Is there a song that can get you pumped and a song that can relax you? Um, you can see, well, people can't see because of podcast, but you can see because we're on Zoom. Over my shoulder is um, a disc of My Chemical Romance, The Black Parade, yes. yeah. um, that was uh, uh, given to me when I left XFM Scotland. That was my going away gift. And uh, it's one of those discs that you get if you're on the radio in, in you know, gratitude for 300,000 album sales, whatever. So the song Welcome to the Black Parade is my ultimate pump-up song. It's my favourite album of all time, is that album. Um and also, again, it, it's a lot of it's because of the bonding experience I had with my oldest daughter, Molly. She got into that song at the same time. We went to see them on that tour three times, including a pilgrimage to Aberdeen. And there's not a lot of times I willingly go to Aberdeen. <laughs> 
but I did with her to see My Chemical Romance and we just lived and breathed that whole album in the car um, and uh, and the song itself is just such a great pump-up song. It's a song about the disenfranchised. It's a song about, you know, the whole emo. I mean, I'm an emo kid. Well, I'm an emo adult, but I love emo because it's, again, it's about the unpopular kids and that's what's so great is anything that empowers the less conventionally popular members of society is brilliant and it's healthy and it's a rebalancing and a redressing and it's essential. And so I, I love that. It's uh, It's got the greatest drumming I've heard outside of Led Zeppelin. And so, uh, so yeah, so wel welcome to the Black Parade. Definitely my pump-up track. And how about one that might relax you? Um... I'm trying, not necessarily a single track specifically, but again, this is tied into my insomnia, that uh, anything by uh, Sigur Ross, I think yeah. is just unbelievable. It's just so good to listen to at night, especially if you're feeling a little bit anxious and panicky. And if I, what I do in addition to sleeping tablets and, and sadly alcohol, um, the, the only other thing that I found that has controlled my insomnia has been, um, I listen to audiobooks now at night and I listen to audiobooks. They've got to be um, autobiographies of things that I know about already. Yeah. And there's a reason for this. So if I listen to a novel, then I kind of, I, I try to stay awake to hear the next bit. And then what I don't want to do is to wake up in the middle of the night and get a spoiler alert because that happened to me with Game of Thrones on audiobooks. <laughs> so I tend to listen to music autobiographies Um the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, bands that I know pretty well so I can kind of fall asleep in and out. Or, and this comes as no surprise given what we've just spoken about, um, political documentaries, political autobiographies and biographies about Donald Trump. I've got about five of them on audiobook. Oh, wow. And um, so I listen to them at night as well. But the musical version of that is Bob Dylan, where I, I, I love Bob Dylan, but I find that with all due respect to him, he is the worst singer like in the history of the world or at least the, the, the singer with the narrowest range he's the person yeah. that sings the most like someone reading a book so <laughs> I, um, I I love um, if if Sigur Ros isn't enough because I think sometimes that the um, my insomnia needs my, my brain needs to disassociate itself from the chat that's in my head so that sometimes needs to be the chat from someone else so Bob Dylan and uh, and things like Desolation Row, some of the the great longer songs of Bob Dylan are really good because they're like listening to a musical audiobook. So uh, so yeah, I'd say relax the song, Sigur Ross or Bob Dylan. I completely agree with you about Bob Dylan because bless him, when when he's in the Traveling Wilburys, he he noticeably stands out. And the Traveling Wilburys haven't got the best amount of singers or no. the best uh, caliber <laughs> no, of singers, but no. <laughs> it's the bar gets lowered for Bob. Bless him. How important no, is music it, to you? Oh, it's, it's it's my greatest obsession in my life. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it's my my favorite thing. Always has been, um, and I know you know I know Games Master means a lot to a lot of people, and that's brilliant. It means a lot to me. It was a phenomenal TV show, and I was uh, I had an incredible time doing it. And it is, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, does it not get does it get boring or does it annoy you the fact that people, you know, keep wanting to talk about Games Master after all this time? But no, people still want to talk to Paul McCartney about the White Album. You know, it was a great thing. It's it's a it's a great part of British television culture, and I'm very proud of it, um, and always will be. And especially, you know, when I hear you saying about how important it was, you know, like kind of to your life growing up, and I had. Um, 
Recently, I had a correspondence on Twitter with a journalist in the UK who basically said that his childhood was utterly miserable. He was a poor kid who got a scholarship to a posh school and was relentlessly bullied. And he said that uh, um, that Games Master was one of the few pockets of happiness that he had. He didn't. He couldn't even afford a video games console. He had to go to his mate's house to play the games. Oh, wow. But he just said there was just something about games. So stuff like that is, I mean, God, it's a privilege to be able to play that part in people's life. But in terms of the things in my career that have made me the most happy, the most rewarding, I, I mean, I was lucky enough, I, I did the, you know, Q107 Toronto, 102.1 The Edge in Toronto. I've, I've done morning shows on big heritage stations, music heritage stations in Canada that have been great. But XFM Scotland, when I did that, 2005-2006, to be to do a, a a show about to do a stay a new music station at a time when Scotland's new music scene was exploding, to play a part to help give a leg up to bands like Biffy Clyro and the Fratellis oh. and the View, to be part of that movement was an absolute dream. You mentioned you mentioned my band there, Biffy Clyro. They are just absolutely everything to me. I love them. Oh. I just yeah. and 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 again, I I was lucky to uh, to have hung out with them a, a few times while I was doing XFM Scotland, and just the loveliest, nicest guys oh, in the world. They're just so ador- they're so sweet. They're so adorable. My um my wife, bless her, big Biffy Clyro fan as well. And um, we went to see them, and they uh, they were playing at King Tut's this is way back in the day, and we went <laughs> we went upstairs to the dressing room afterwards for a meet and greet. And my wife, my wife is uh, is very gushy, and she literally sat down on the sofa in the dressing room with with Simon, the singer, and just talked at him for what seemed like two hours about how much she loved him and loved the band, leaving me with the gingers for the whole. Night. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they're great. They're, they're all no, they're they're a lovely band, and they're and what's great was that I mean you know they they were. They were tootling around for a long time before that 2005, 2006 period when they s- suddenly became the biggest rock band in Britain. And, and, but they deserved it. They did the legwork. They did the tours. They did yeah. the hard graft. And they just, you could not think of a more deserving band in the world to have success than Biffy Clyro did. And I think they're one of those rare bands that you've got a few, like Queen, uh, arguably you two that have got a sound that you can t- distinctively hear is them. It's that, it's that signature. Yes, 100%. And here's why, and again, I know we shouldn't talk about them these days, but this is why I always loved the Smiths. And it was a John Peel quote that he said the Smiths were the first band he'd ever listened to that he couldn't tell what bands they had listened to because they were so That's, unique. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it's great. And, and I know that I've always fallen into this as a... As a, as a radio guy who's worked for new music radio stations that whenever you play a new band, you're like, oh yeah, it's there, the jam meets ABBA. And you always, and it's the laziest thing, but you always fall yeah. into that trap of describing a new band by talking about other bands. And you're right, Biffy Clyro is, is really hard to describe them in terms of other bands. Queen's the same yeah. thing, which is yeah. interesting because um, Muse, which is the only band my wife loves as much as Biffy Clyro, she thinks that Muse is one of those bands. But I'm like, no, Muse is queen. Muse is just queen. I mean, they're brilliant, but Muse is queen with with bigger toys. 
to play. <laughs> <laughs> Blimey, yeah, we, <laughs> I can't believe we've been speaking for so long. But I've got a, a few quick fire ones. Um, so very, just very quickly. Uh, if you used to have a takeaway, what would be your favourite comfort food? Uh, favourite takeaway comfort food? Um... <sighs> I mean, I, I miss kebabs. I got to say, kebabs in Canada are very different. Uh, I was a big kebab fan in, in Scotland, but here they have this white sweet sauce that they put on, they call them donairs over, and they spell them differently, donairs, D-O-N-A-I-R, not donor, D-O-N-E-R. And so my first port of call in Canada, Nova Scotia, is the epicenter of the Canadian kebab society, <laughs> and uh, especially Halifax. They have the what's called the the Donair Triangle in Halifax, which is where all the kebab shops are. But it, it's weird because it's this sweet white garlicky sauce. I don't mind garlic, but it's sweet, and so it, it makes me just miss British kebab so much. So kebabs, uh, definitely. I, I'm I'm a fan of. Um, like uh, this, this is this is probably disgusting, but I'm the guy in our house who eats the fatty bits of meat that the kids leave on their plate. Oh, so I honestly, I love, and it's like so if if we're like having steak, which we don't have a lot now because two of my kids are vegetarian, um, so they'll leave like the fatty bits, and I'm like, oh come on, give them to dad, give them to dad. So I, I so I think that's why I've always liked kebabs. Some people have got a problem, like oh you don't know what's in. No, I don't care. Just you know. Nobly bits of a, meat is my thing. Such a dad thing to do. Eating the it, fat is. Off the plate. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Uh, have you got a uh, an animal that you, you particularly like? So I've said spirit animal, but yeah, for me, it's donkey. I love a donkey. And I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. I love I, I, I love sharks. I, you know, I, I, my nickname for my youngest daughter is Sharky. I love sharks. I love monkeys. But what I love about donkeys is, and I think this is how they are, my spirit animal, in a way, that they are unbelievably loyal, yeah. but frequently overlooked in favour of their more glamorous counterpart, the horse. The horse exactly. gets all the credit, you know, but I know for a fact that, monk, that donkeys... Um, Donkeys don't have many friends. They don't, they're not herd animals, right? They've only got like a couple of pals. But I read once that if a donkey is separated from another donkey that it's been close to, it will miss that donkey for the rest of its life. And it's possible that the, 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 the braise of a donkey can be heard by his donkey pal for miles away across deserts and they still work to keep that connection and they've proven that if you take two donkeys and put one of them miles away across a flat landscape they will still be able to talk to each other so I like that and I also like the fact that I mean cheese is one of my obsessions that apparently they produce the most expensive cheese in the world so uh, I love yeah I love donkeys donkeys are cool See, A, I love the fact there's there's such a thing as donkey Twitter. That's a brilliant thing. And B, if you do come back and you do start a donkey farm, please let me know. I need to visit I that. <laughs> I will. And also, I like the fact that there's things people don't realise about donkeys that in, uh, in some parts of the world that donkeys are used to guard sheep because donkeys scare the shit out of dogs, apparently. Oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I, I've not been able to test that in the field, but apparently if you've got if you've got like a pack of sheep and you're troubled by wild dogs or coyotes, a donkey is a really good guard animal to have. And no, nobody ever talks about that. Wow. <laughs> right. Complete news to me. Um, so is there a particular favourite visitor attraction? So it could be a museum, a castle, something like that. It could be in Canada or it could be in Scotland. We have 
uh, just over an hour's drive from us, the greatest, um, most insane visitor attraction in all of Canada. I always say, for me, this place is better than Niagara Falls, which is amazing. Niagara Falls is just mind-blowing. But there's a place called the Gopher Hole Museum in Torrington in Alberta. And it's a, it's a small town, tiny town. The museum is the size of a large caravan. <laughs> and inside, they have scenes from the history of the town of Torrington featuring locally caught gophers, right? The small animal from Caddyshack, right? Those little guys, right? They catch them locally. They send them off to a taxidermist to get stuffed. Then they are dressed up as human beings and posed in things like the opening of the fire hall, 1924. <laughs> <laughs> and they have these in light boxes all around this tiny room. <laughs> it's, it's just, it is like, again, it's like something from a Stephen King novel. And it, I've never seen anything like it in, in my life. And it sums up small town Canada perfectly because every, I've, I've, I've been to a lot of small towns and they are just like the first half of Stephen King novels before the shit happens. <laughs> and they're completely crazy. They are utterly idiosyncratic. They are, um, they're just very, very strange places, yeah. but in a wonderful way. And so for me, Torrington, because of the Gopher Hole Museum, sums up small town Canada perfectly. And it's a once in a lifetime tourist attraction. Because you know that wherever you go in the world, there's the two tiers of tourist attraction. You know, yes, you'll go and see the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but there'll always be that weird, slightly fucked yeah. up thing. That's yeah. not really in the guidebooks that you find out. It's a bit sketchy. And that's the thing you remember more than anything. Is there a starstruck uh, crush you got? Someone that you'd like to meet or someone that you did meet perhaps because you've had a, such a varied career that you've gone, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, almost bucket list. It used to be, um, it used to be Roger Waters uh, from Pink Floyd um, oh, wow. was kind of, was up there. Especially what, when I moved to Canada and I... Um, I gravitated towards what's known as classic rock stations, which is a big thing in Canada. And so it started with Q104 in Halifax and then the big one, Q107 in Toronto, which is probably the most famous um, classic rock station in Canada. And through that, I kind of got more and more immersed in uh, Pink Floyd. That I always loved as a kid in Led Zeppelin and everything, but I really, really got into them. So uh, I always wanted to interview Roger Waters I felt he's the one that had the most to say in Pink Floyd. but I And I got to interview him a few years back on Q107 Toronto, and he did not disappoint. He was brilliant. So now it would be Jimmy Page uh, from Led Zeppelin. And I think that um, I he revolutionized the way that a guitar sounded on record. He revolutionized the way that a band sounded. All those great little tricks you hear, the kind of cross fades and the little echo bits and stuff. That's all Jimmy Page. He, he's the greatest rock guitarist of all time, but he's also the greatest rock producer. Everybody goes on about, you know, like Jack, Jack White from the White Stripes and everything, but Jimmy Page was, was Jack White before Jack White was ever invented. And I, so I would love, the music geek in me would love to talk to him about that stuff. But also, I'd love to talk about all those legendary Led Zeppelin rock and roll groupie stories and ask if they were true. I'd also like to ask him about the time in his life where he was really into satanic rituals. Because oh. uh, as, a, as a kind of Catholic, I don't think you can be 
you can believe in God without believing in the other guy. And so um, I, I, I kind of, um, I find people who are into that stuff scary, but also kind of quite interesting. I want to know, like, why would you, you know, why would you be attracted to something that's so scary? So, and he never talks about it. He never, ever talks about that part of his life. And he actually bought Alistair Crowley's house in Scotland because he was so into, and apparently he had satanic rituals. He carried them all out, but he never talks about it. So I think that there's so much fascinating stuff that, um, that I would love to talk to uh, Jimmy Page about. So yeah, Jimmy Page would be, would be the, the big bucket list. What an amazing answer. Yeah, and, and if people don't know who Alistair Crowley is, he you know, famously on the Sgt. Pepper album, but quite a fascinating guy in his own right. It's, uh, yeah, he was like kind of a chief chief Satanist writer of his era in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> what a Wikipedia page that is. <laughs> and then last question, because you've been so courteous to me, you give me over two hours now. Um, an unsung hero, someone that, that you potentially have known or someone that you've seen from a distance, someone that just doesn't get the credit they deserve necessarily. This is going to be a horribly vague woke answer, um, but uh, any teacher that has made a difference to a kid's life, I was very, very lucky. And I I said this earlier when we were talking about To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. When I was doing my O-levels and A-levels, I had the most amazing teachers a kid could ever have who were so passionate about their subjects who lit a fire underneath me for things like history and English literature and philosophy specifically. I was very lucky that I, when I was 10 years old, and this was my mum that sorted this out, I was, um, I, was, I was a smart kid and I wasn't challenged a lot at school. So I was starting to behave badly and I have no doubt whatsoever I would have gone on to become a drug dealer. Because that, if you're a smart kid in a council estate where I come from, you become a drug dealer or a criminal of some kind. But my mum saw an advert in the paper for a scholarship for this uh, boarding school, Strathallan, and she was like, right, you're going to go to boarding school. So I uh, sat there, got a scholarship, and I became the token working class kid that they allow in to boarding school every year. And it was a posh school, and I had a very privileged education. Uh, We didn't pay for it, luckily. Um, But as a result, I had teachers who were well-funded and who had an idyllic lifestyle themselves and just, here's an example of how great it was. So I did philosophy A-level and it was the first time it had been available in Scotland. Myself and my friend James Wood, the one who's now a poet in BC, we were the only two people that did philosophy. Here's what our philosophy A-level classes were like. We would go, we had two teachers, two teachers, two pupils, one-to-one, right? Wow. We would go to their house Twice a week, right? Mr. Um, uh, what was his name? Mr. Um, Robertson? It was Mr. Smith and Mr. Robertson. Yeah. We'd go to Mr. Robertson's house and uh, we would sit in his living room. We'd have wine and cheese and we would talk about Plato and Aristotle and Nietzsche. And you just to be 16 years old, to kind of be treated as an adult... And to have, just basically have these incredible intellectual conversations. So I was very, very lucky. I was so blessed and lucky to do that. And then again, my my history teachers were just so passionate about the stuff that they were doing. And I had a guy, Simon Pengelly, and we did Victorian England. And and it was at the time when, you know, working class people were having to riot to get the vote. And again, the parallels 
between then and today were massive. So that lit the flame of kind of left-wing politics in me. And my English teachers were all incredibly passionate about stuff. So I would say any teacher, and especially a teacher that's not lucky enough to teach at a privileged boarding school, any teacher in a state school that is able to cut through the shit that they have to deal with every day mm. and still maintain a passion about teaching and light a flame underneath a kid to encourage them to learn because learning and education is the greatest power that we have. It's the one thing that can help us where regardless of what kind of class or color that we're born or religion we're born into, um, uh, libraries gave us power as my friends, the Manic Street Preachers famously sing in A Desire for Life. Libraries gave us power, that great phrase that's above that building in Wales. Libraries gave us power, learning gives us power. So yeah, the great unsung teachers um, are, the, are the, the great, sorry, the great unsung heroes are the teachers underpaid in state schools who can somehow manage to make kids passionate about learning. I can't think of a better way to end that. That is such a beautiful sentiment. That it genuinely is. So thank you so cool. much, Dominic. You have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. Well, listen, I have to say, Jason, I think uh, that, uh, you know, I said to you that I thought the concept behind this podcast was really interesting. I, I, for many years of my life, I didn't do podcasts. I get asked to do them all the time. They're normally video game ones or uh, Celtic football club ones. I started doing a couple recently. Um, because I want to publicise the Twitch show, um, which Dominic Diamond Live is the channel, 5pm UK time, Monday to Friday. But I've been, asked, I've been answering the same questions. I did a few podcasts and then the floodgates opened and I get people asking every day. I'm not doing any more because I keep having to answer the same questions. But I love this because these were different questions. And, uh, and I, I've really enjoyed this chat. It's stuff I don't normally talk about. And I think that you kind of you do it in a very natural way a natural conversation way which has been um it's why i've not realized that it's been two hours thank you so much dominic oh my word you are absolutely superb all right that was probably one of my favorite podcasts of all times that i've recorded and that's saying something thank you so much dominic and go find him on twitter at dominic diamond and his twitch dominic diamond live make sure you do subscribe to those and of course this podcast is in support of the calm zone the campaign against living miserably if you do need help calmzone.net's there for you and their helpline is 0800 585858 and there's web chat available too and if you can if you like this podcast please do donate you know send them a few pounds if you can it all helps it really does and yeah let's have this conversation about mental health and keeping keeping well because we all need it and that's what the campaign against living miserably is here to help with it's what this podcast here help with so if you want to subscribe there's loads more to come from this podcast so make sure you do and thank you so much for joining us and thank you again, Dominic. So we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.